Maybe it's the uh, recent heat, but I often feel that everything from people to AC systems have been at a boiling point. And uh, Becky and I went, were trying to go out to dinner the other night uh, quickly after one of the ball games, or I guess, well, I guess we'd gone to the movie that night. And we stopped in the, at, a, at a restaurant, and the sign said, okay, not, we're, we're closed for the next couple of days. Looked like air conditioning problems. So we went down the street to another little strip mall trying to get something to eat. The second place that we went to said closed. We've got, we've got eight air conditioning problems. And I'm like, okay, it's just like, what's going on? You know, one of those, uh, one of those feelings. There are so many though, in addition to the systems, I would say people that are on the edge of anger or frustration and maybe the analogy I would use would be a simmering pot that are close to the boiling point. And uh, it's not hard for most of us who can identify with this to, to see it with people, particularly in service-oriented positions, waiters and waitresses. But of course, it leaks out into our social media and on TV and in our politics. There's just this emotionally charged atmosphere that seems everywhere. And so we get these feelings that are set in motion sometimes, and then we start looking for other clues. Maybe with as it start, we start to boil a little bit. We look for other clues, and sadly, we can see the we can see it, and we consider uh, the horror of Maui, for instance, and the hurricane and the drought, drought and the wildfires uh, that consume buildings and animals and people and people that are still missing and. Uh, many on that island and we ask isn't suffering and uncertainty and somehow anger on the rise that would be a sign of the time then there was a bishop in canada that just noted about the wildfires in canada and he said it's the closest image to apocalyptic wasteland that i have ever seen and it's thousands and thousands of acres, and they think these fires are going to continue for months and months. Now, it's a big area, but that's a lot of fire. And with the devastation by fires and floods the world over, we, 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 we do wonder, what are, the, what are the signs of our own time, and what are they telling us? So then in today's passage, Jesus is talking about interpreting the times in his day. And, and in the passage that Don just read, there is a cloud. If you, if you could see the cloud coming over from the west, from the Mediterranean Sea, then people know it's going to rain. And if the winds are blowing from the south, then you know, people, it's going to be hot. And he says, Jesus says to the folks, you are experts on the weather, but you're so lousy at interpreting spiritual matters. And though you have the Old Testament scripture, and though you have heard the prophecies of the Messiah, and though you have seen me in person, and my mission, and my kingdom, and my teaching, still, why can't you see what is going on and interpret the times? 
So then I layer, as I think about this passage in the last few days, it's been 100 plus degrees, folks. No wonder our tensions are high. And my goodness, doesn't it feel better just in the last 24 hours with a little respite? And, and can we read the signs of the times? What does the weather tell us? Does it tell us anything? Well, what about the spirit of the times? And so in the midst of all of these pots that are boiling, how do we handle a passage like today's passage where the man of God is also at his boiling point? How else could we read this section of Scripture? He expresses his hot temperature in a couple of ways, outwardly and inwardly. First, outwardly. The text says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were kindled. New Living Translation says, to cast fire on the earth, or to set the world on fire. Now, part of me loves this language, and if you're a preacher, you can kind of enjoy it for a moment. And part of me resists it deeply. Because we don't need any more fires. I prefer a Jesus that puts out fires not one that starts them. And in reading a, reading a preaching commentary this week, it put it this way, with all of the divisiveness present in society these days, it seems that the last thing we need is a gospel text that seemingly encourages more division. I get that too. And yet, is that ours to decide? In fact, maybe that's a very shallow reaction because God is God. And a different quality of God's character is now surfacing in Jesus. In fact, fire is as old as Mount Sinai, or really even preceding that, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 with fire and brimstone, burning sulfur, a cosmic fireball that takes out a couple cities. You see, fire came in the burning bush and fire reveals and destroys, conveying God's judgment. And then it's the pillar of fire that provides the light and the guidance by night. And then fire also prepares and purifies. And I'd like to think of it, if you, any of you have understand farming, uh, might see this as a controlled, or ranchers maybe, or those out west, different parts of the country have controlled burns. You burn a particular part of the land in order to ready it and prepare it for new growth. 
In other words, there is this refining fire that is set forth, and particularly it's set forth in the last chapter of the book of Malachi that says there is more to the story, there is more to come. And in the book of Malachi it says this, Surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. Of course then, we look past Jesus for just a minute. We get to the book of Acts. We see the fire of God in the pillar in all of the days of, of Pentecost. We fast forward again to the book of Revelation and we see the fire of God expressing the judgment and, and, and God intervening into the affairs of men. So, so fire for Jesus is judgment it is purification, but I want you to hear this. It is alive. It is God alive and energizing in his engagement in the world. That's on the outside. Now on the inside, listen to Jesus. He says in verse 50, But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint... I am under until it is completed. In communication theory, there are words, there's tone, and there's body language. I think here Jesus' words are surpassed by his tone. In fact, in communication theory, 38% of what one conveys is through our tone. 7% in the words themselves. I think Jesus is worked up. He is distressed with inner conflict. And his tone at this point is a controlled boil, like the pot on a stove where water is first tepid, then it's warm, then it boils, and then it boils over. I think he's at the controlled boil stage. So on the outside, we have the eternal flame that's burning, and on the, on the inside, we have this eternal boil. And then he says this in verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now, if you take religious polls and poll people out in the, our communities, most, in most religious polls, people vote yes for Jesus and no for the church. In other words, people in our society remain favorable about Jesus. But I wonder what Jesus they have in mind when they're saying that. Is it the one here? Or is it another Jesus, mostly or in many ways a product of our own minds? And might we do the same? You see, if you've been closely following along for these 12 chapters of the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been healing, and he's been doing good, and he's filled with hope, and he fills others with hope, and he's a miracle worker, and he's compassionate, and he's caring. So we, like the people that are polled, who, uh, and like the crowds, 
might be tempted to make Jesus into who we want him to be. Perhaps those in the polls thinking about Jesus see him fondly, and those of us who on the inside the church see him fondly, but have we considered this multidimensional Jesus who reveals the fullness and the wholeness of God? we had to label the passage, we might say it this way, fire-casting, family-dividing Jesus. That's an irony, if not an absolute contradiction that we've got to sort through for in the next few minutes. Because don't we know from other passages, in fact, that Jesus is the bringer of peace? Luke chapter 1 tells us that this coming baby is said to guide our feet into the way of peace. And when Jesus is born, the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Good pleasure to men. He's referred in Isaiah chapter 9 as the Prince of Peace. Before he goes to the cross in John chapter 14, he says, I give you peace. When he is risen from the dead after his resurrection, he says to his disciples, peace I give to you. But let's get this straight. Following Jesus is not the most peaceful path. In other words, Jesus refuses the game that Jeremiah warns against. One that says, peace peace when there is no peace. False peace at the expense of truth, at the expense of God's will, God's activity. Now I have to admit at this point, the push and pull of ministry through the years motivates me to want to placate peace. I do not deal well with conflict, not nearly as well as I used to think that I did, if I really did that all that well then. And even since coming out of COVID, my interest in it is even less. I would rather just keep the peace. But Jesus is clear. When he comes, what's on the stove will boil over. And that will fracture families. And relationships will get torn apart. It's got to be. Somebody texted me yesterday and said, you aren't skipping this section, are you? And they said, it has to be the hardest passage in the Bible. Let's read it again, 52 and following. From now on, there'll be five in one family, divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against 
mother-in-law. Jesus will cause families to split. To make his point unambiguous, he mentions all these permutations. Couldn't he have just done it? (laughs) You know, like one or two or just a few words. But it's so spelled out. And while John the Baptist, the Bible says, came to turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers, here Jesus comes along and splits them up again. Tell me, does anything feel worse than a divided family? It's awful. So what kind of peace is it that he brings? And what kind of division? And when does one prevail and when the other? And when we say we want unity, what kind of unity do we mean? Because here we see Jesus driving more wedges between people than bringing them together. All right, one more section of our reading. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, Try hard to be reconciled on the way. In other words, if you've got something you're not getting along with somebody, work it out now. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge. And the judge will turn you over to the officer and the officer will throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus uses the analogy of two people needing to settle a dispute before they get to court, before they get to the judge. And isn't he talking about our debt to God? And it's way better to get that disagreement with God worked out now. Don't let it go to the judge. Because if you go to prison and then try to make amends, guess what? Debtor's prison is not friendly. You have no way out. You need to come to grips with the truth about yourself now. Denial, procrastination only lead to worse outcomes. I hope there's an invitation in that, embedded in that for you. Now just for a minute then, what does Jesus want from us in all of this? What is the Holy Spirit telling us through 
his word. I believe the key to understanding the passage is actually in verse 50. But I have a baptism to undergo. The baptism is a clear reference to his impending death on a cross. This death will be like fire. It will bring change. It will be transformative. It will change the world. It will change the world from that time on. The cross of Christ, that death that the, he will undergo, is the greatest fiery act of God's judgment and God's grace the world will ever see. Jesus' baptism, or his death, came to set people free. Thank you, Peggy. To restore people from sin. And to help them escape evil. And to avoid hell. And make it through death. And particularly help save us from ourselves as we are our own worst enemy. And so in this way, the baptism that he will undergo, he is the peacemaker. The fire that Jesus brings is the fire that clears the forest of what needs to go and make it possible for new and healthy growth. The response from each one of us is what makes all the difference. I tried to put it in a phrase, and I wrote it this way. Jesus unites people, there's the peacemaker, who first choose him and his death. And he stirs up everything from indifference to violence in those who fail to put him first. Wasn't the first to say it something like this. Some 500 years ago, Martin Luther was struggling within the Catholic Church and he sought to lay out the truth of the gospel of Jesus' death and its role in our lives again. And his efforts to set it forth within the Catholic Church of that time divided the church. And many Christians at the time accused Luther of not only dividing the church, but dividing the world. And Luther, in a passage where he looks back at his ministry, which uh, after his death started the Reformation, and in fact, other churches outside of the Catholic Church, he said it this way. 
He said, ours is a doctrine of grace and peace. It does not stir up trouble. Trouble starts when the people, the nations, and their rulers of the earth rage and take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. And as long as we preach Christ and confess Him to be our Savior, we must be content to be called vicious troublemakers. We allow hundreds of opinions, viewpoints, doctrines to divide us today. In the church, in our neighborhoods, in our politics, in our schools, in our families. In fact, I so often seems to me that our tolerances for differences are astoundingly low. There's so much danger in dualistic thinking. Here, I believe Jesus is telling us that there is but one truth worth dividing over. Not just the life, but the death of Jesus changes our world. It is our shaping identity, our filter through which we understand God, we understand ourselves, we understand our families, we understand our relationships. Final story. Maybe just gives a little glimpse of what I'm trying to get at. A young girl asked her mother, Mom, do you love God more than me? The mother held her daughter. She looked her in the eyes for a long time. How would you answer? And then she whispered to her, Yes, I love God more so that I can love you best. The word of the Lord.